0: Welcome to this week's episode of the Scent Institute Podcast. What is your organization doing as the baby boomer pastors and church planning leaders enter into retirement? And how are you raising the competency of your organization while casting a vision for the next generation of leaders to lead now in your organization? And that's what I discussed today with Dr. John Davidson, the Director of Discovery and Development at the Church Multiplication Network. On today's episode, John and I talk about a few different things, but we really dig into what organizations need to do in order to raise up next-generation leaders with a biblical vision for mission and church planting. We talk about what it looks like to recruit and credential planters from within your movement, not only to plant churches, but also to lead within your network. And just as local churches need to continuously develop leadership from within. Church planning networks also have to develop leadership from within from the next generation. So we wrap up our conversation also with a question I get all the time from denominational leaders and that is how can denominations better partner rather than compete with networks and sub-networks that arise from within our movement. John provides some very useful insight from his organization that I think you'll find useful and helpful as you continue to lead your network as well. Without further ado, Dr. John Davidson. Well, hey, John, uh, really excited to have you on the podcast today. Uh, Before we uh, jump into, you know, all the details of our uh, podcast, can you share a little bit about how you got involved with CMN and how you got involved in church planning?
1: Yeah, sure. I, I came to uh, church planting and my involvement with the Church Multiplication Network through a little bit of a, uh, maybe a non-traditional path. So people ask me all the time, hmm. who know a little bit of my story, they say, how do you? How did you get involved with church planting? Were, were you a church planter? And the answer is no, I wasn't hmm. a church planter. Um, but let me tell you how I got involved. So uh, I spent my entire adult life in local church ministries. So I've been a youth pastor, associate pastor, executive pastor, all of that. And then um, uh, in 2008, I began to get involved in a, uh, a local church that was partnered with one of our Assemblies of God universities in Texas. And uh, mm-hmm. so the Church Multiplication Network, so if people don't know, is the church planting arm of the Assemblies of God. And so I, I was an Assemblies of God pastor and now working a kind of straddling one foot in the local church world, one foot in the education world, in higher education. And I was running an internship program that helped uh, ministry majors at uh, one of our colleges actually get experience in local church ministry and, and get them involved in local church ministry. So I was providing a lot of the educational training and uh, the the hands-on training of those students, and then mm-hmm. helping to place those students in local church ministry when they when they graduated from college. So that's what I was mm-hmm. doing. And in 2010, I got invited, and this kind of show you the weird way in, in which God works, I got invited to a meeting that the Church Multiplication Network was putting on, because one of my friends was supposed to go to the meeting, but he couldn't, he had a conflict. <laughs> so he said, hey, John, can you go to this meeting and represent us? And I said, yeah, sure. So I went and, and come to find out it was a meeting about how the Church Multiplication Network could begin to start some church planting residency programs and internship programs that would uh, help kind of create a pipeline for new people who might be heading towards church planting or local church ministry. And so I found myself in this meeting uh, that had probably, uh, I don't know, 40 or so, maybe 50 uh, church planters and pastors and denominational leaders from around the country in it. And they were discussing how in the world to create an effective residency program. And
2: mm-hmm.
1: quite honestly, as I as sat and listened to that discussion, uh, I was thinking to myself the whole time, man, I I got ideas on this, but I don't know if I should even share them because I, I wasn't even supposed to be in this meeting. So, <laughs> um, uh, so after, uh, I was actually on a break we were like on a lunch break and i was talking to some of my friends who were there and I, and I was sharing some of my ideas and they really encouraged me said hey you should speak up and share those ideas because they're they're good and i think they could help our discussion so when we came back together in our meeting i shared those ideas and and um and i guess those ideas were good and helpful because uh by that night the uh the guy who was at the time the national director of church planning for the Assemblies of God said, Hey, I I think that you should uh, find a place to serve on our team. Like certainly we can find a place for you. And and, uh, within the next few months, I started to get involved in the church multiplication network and and became what we call a field-based team leader, which is somebody who is doing what they do in the local church, uh, serving in in ministry in their local context, but also giving part of their time to the church multiplication network. Mm -hmm. And so I did that for about five years. And uh, then in 2015, uh, was asked to come join the team full time, and so I moved wow. to Springfield, Missouri, where our office is, and and uh, so now help in in all things recruiting and and training in uh, in the church education network. And uh, in addition to that, I picked up another uh, job at the national office of the Assemblies of God, which is that I now serve as the director of the Alliance for Someone's Got Higher Education. So mm-hmm. I serve as uh, The kind of the connection or the point person for all of our uh, Assemblies of God endorsed colleges and universities around the country. So that's a little bit about how I got into into what I'm doing.
0: Wow, that's real cool. And I I want to come back to that because I want to see how you guys make that bridge between church planning and then the colleges and seminaries. I want to... Uh, talk a little bit about kind of just the makeup of your um uh, cmn uh staff because i um, i know steve pike and uh, actually have done podcasts with him um and you know he's part of the leadership team that started it but i mean you guys currently have a fairly young staff um you know chris Raleigh, the director i think is he not even 40 yet maybe he's 40 um, yeah. Age, age forty. Yeah, And so you guys got a great team, um, or a, a, a great team and you're young. I mean, so we're seeing a lot of, uh, networks, uh, and organizations begin to move the boomers kind of out, uh, into retirement or they're moving themselves. And, and even some Gen Xers, uh, the older Gen Xers. So uh, how's that affected the leadership, um, at CMN and what are you seeing coming out of it?
1: Yeah, that's a really good point, Daniel. Uh, First of all, uh, kudos to Steve Pike that you mentioned, because uh, he was really the guy that started the Church Multiplication Network for the Assemblies of God, and he was that leader that pulled me aside after the meeting that I told Mm. you about a moment ago and said, hey, you need to serve on the team. So uh, it's it's really, uh, I guess, a combination of the Lord's sovereignty and Steve's uh, wisdom that that uh, is really allowing me to serve on the team today. He's really the one that pulled me in. Steve did a great job starting the Church Multiplication Network and then, you know, decided that he really kind of wanted to give the rest of his uh, ministry career to uh, planting urban churches. And so uh, he's doing a great job with that. And the team that now exists uh, in our national office of the Church Multiplication Network is really young. And uh, so the four people Um, me included, that serve as directors of the Church Multiplication Network are really all between the ages of uh, 38 and 43, I think, Mm -hmm. something like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, then a a good bulk of our staff, uh, the young men and young women that are actually making the work of CNN happen, uh, they're honestly a lot of them are right out of college.
2: Um,
1: So they're between the ages of 21 and 25 or 26 And we have uh, probably over half of our national team falls into that age range. Mm -hmm. And it's it's pretty unusual to have a group of people that young um, at the the helm, really, at at a national church planting movement like this. But I'll tell you, they've got so much energy, and uh, our our team is very forward-leaning. And uh, so we've got a lot of energy right now, and it's really helping us to appeal to those people who are wanting to plant churches right now yeah so um because honestly most of the people who are planting churches at least in our movement in the assemblies of god they are me they're 38 years Mm -hmm, old mm -hmm. they're uh they've got young kids and you know they've been in ministry for a few years trying to figure out what's next and so they are me and so it really gives us a great opportunity to relate to the kinds of people who are planting churches right
0: now? Yeah, so if, if you had to guess right now among like those who are planting churches with the AG, uh, and and I know there's some planting that happens outside of CMN as well. Um, I mean, w- w- ballpark, uh, you know, what's the what's the demographics, or maybe not major demographics, but if you had to kind of like say, you know, this is where we're seeing a lot of church planters come from. Uh, what sure. does that look like for for you all?
1: Well, first of all, 35% of ministers in the AG are non-white. So um, 65% are Anglo, 30% are non-Anglo, and um, it's no surprise that right at 35% of our churches are also classified as Mm non-Anglo. So um, I would say that that probably represents the current reality of our new church planters as well, Mm -hmm. Uh, maybe not exactly, but but close, that maybe... um, maybe 60 to 65% of them are Anglo. The other 35 to 40% of them are non-Anglo in terms of uh, ethnic uh, demographic and breakdown. Um, And then in terms of age, I would say uh, our average planters are still in their low to mid thirties with young kids coming out of a staff pastor position in a local church. And uh, my own research shows that the bulk of our planters have in common that they were formerly youth pastors before they were church planters. Well, wow, Okay. And so, um, and, and I think there's lots of good reasons for that, and it also gives us um, ability to kind of target some of those people, knowing that that's the case. Yeah. Um, you know, I've, I've spent a lot of time thinking about why is it that former youth pastors uh, seem to make really good church planters, and I, I think there's. There's a number of reasons for that for anybody who may be listening today who maybe you are a youth pastor or a staff pastor and you're thinking, you know, would I be successful church planter or not? Mm-hmm. I-, I think if you've been in a position where you're consistently preaching every week or at least every other week, you're having to come up with with messages, you know, that's something you have to do in a church plant, too. And yeah. so um, if you're used to doing that every week already, uh, that's, that makes it an easy transition. Youth pastors are they're used to discipling students. And discipling students isn't all that much different than discipling adults. And, yeah, you know, yeah. the, the same systems are needed. And the youth pastors used to building systems for discipleship and worship and assimilation and volunteerism. And, and on top of that, um, a lot of them have to raise their own budget, you know, and, yeah. and they have to focus on evangelism just like a church planter. And, and so, um, I think there's lots of reasons why a great staff pastor also makes a good church planter, and we've certainly seen that to be the reality with those people who are planting churches with the Church Multiplication Network.
0: Yeah, well, now you all just had your first uh, national conference uh, a few months ago. Uh, what was that like? I mean, who, who came to that? Um, and you know, I, I think some networks are starting to do that, uh, or they're doing that regionally, uh, but you guys, this is your first national one. Uh, what did you see come out of it?
1: Yeah, it was really incredible. You know, we've said for uh, the last couple of years that Church Multiplication Network has done a great job of actually building a legitimate network. So it's not just a network in name only. It's a network of actual people, real people scattered around the country who feel um, like this network, CNN, is their family. Mm -hmm. This is the place they come for training and resourcing, and these are the people that are like them who are planting churches and leading movements of multiplication. And so, um, you know, in the last few years, we've really kind of developed this, this motto or this vision that we've used everywhere we go, that is simply says this, a healthy church in every community. That's kind of the vision that we're, Mm. that we're striving for is a healthy church in every community. And, and that's kind of been our rallying cry, uh, for CMN, but we didn't really feel like we had a rallying point. Mm -hmm. And so, um, Thanks to Chris Raley, who directs CMN, uh, because this is really his vision and idea, that we really needed a a national church planting conference for the Assemblies of God. And, and, um, you know, we thought people would respond to it, but we weren't really sure. And what we found out was that we really do need it. Uh, On our very first time out of the gate a couple of months ago, we about twelve hundred people converge wow. on Dallas wow. uh, for this conference. And uh they were church planters, pastors. We had we had some church planting missionaries there. We had we had people from all over the world, all different ethnic groups, and uh spending three days together, worshiping together, growing together, uh, through a combination of main sessions and breakouts and uh, and it was just a really powerful time. And mm-hmm. and and probably the, the best thing, Daniel, that we heard as people walked away from the event was this didn't feel like a conference it felt like a family reunion yeah wow and that's really what we were trying to create and yeah. uh, so we're thankful the lord helped us on that and you know we're and as things go in the in the conference world we are already planning next year's conference which is going to yeah. be in march of 2019 back in dallas we're all, already looking forward to that and awesome. uh, we think it's actually going to be a not just a great family reunion it's going to become a a place for resourcing and a place honestly, for recruiting, uh, for people who are interested in planting, that think they might want to plant. That's going to be a place where they can come and rub shoulders with church planters from around the country and and kind of get a feel for whether or not this planting thing is for them.
0: You know, you bring up a a very important point that I think uh, uh, network leaders are certain to to discern, because we used to do a lot of things, uh, uh, when I say we, like church planting leaders uh, for church planters. Um rather than around church planting. And I think the subtle nuance is, you know, if you do something for church planters, then you're just going to have church planters come. But if you're talking about church planting, then you can open that up to other people who aren't church planters, you know, members of the churches, and and then, then cast a vision for church planting. And um, so, I mean, I w- I'd imagine an environment like that's a great place to do that. So, Absolutely, it was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can, you, can you talk a little bit about uh, just, um, you know, I, I know you're uh, overseeing more of the discovering and the recruiting, but in terms of your strategies around training church planters at CMN, like what does that look like in particular, how uh, they're trained to engage uh, unreached communities? Because you guys have a community strategy, I think um, that you had mentioned earlier. What does that look like? Yeah,
1: so, you know, our vision is a healthy church in every community, and, and uh, you're talking about unreached communities, and I, I like to think of it this way, Daniel. There are, there are pockets of unreached people in every community, and then there are more what we would probably consider unreached communities, and this is where, you know, the, the whole community is basically mm-hmm. unreached. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we all know the day of most people in the U.S. having regular access to the gospel— uh, is is really gone. I mean, do they have access to it if they want it? Yeah, sure they can go online and find a local church service or whatever, but in terms of it being a part of their daily life, them having immediate access like I have a Christian in my family or I have a direct connection to a local church, uh, that is largely gone. Yeah. Um even in the Midwest, even in what we would consider the Bible Belt of America, that's often gone. So this really requires us to operate with um, sound missiological principles when we mm-hmm. plant churches. And this is one of my top concerns right now as it relates to the proliferation of church planting agencies and church planting networks. And let me say this, I I think that in general, the more people starting churches, the better. Uh, we can probably agree on that. But sure. yeah. if we want to plant churches that really reach the unchurched and churches that last, we have to do that with a framework of solid theology of mission and a solid ecclesiology. And that means we don't just throw a church up anywhere, any way we want to, but we do it on purpose. Mm. Uh, So we have to have a good theology of mission, which isn't just pithy statements like, you know, we're going to reach the lost at any cost. Well, no, that's not true. We have to start using the principles our missionaries have used around the world for decades, things like contextualization and the, the indigenous church principle good principles Mm -hmm. of cross-cultural communication and leadership development. And we're beginning to integrate these into our training events and into our resources from CMN because we're realizing that really to reach the unreached and the unchurched in our communities in America, we've really got to take much more the stance of missionaries than what we have thought in the past in the U S of just, we're just going to start a new church in a community that is already largely uh, leaning towards Christianity anyway. And on a national scale, one of the things we did a few years ago was to begin targeting communities that we discerned through research were probably underserved with the gospel. So mm-hmm. this isn't unique to us, and the other church planting agencies are trying to do targeted approaches as well. But um, you know, the U.S. Census Bureau says that there are a little over 30,000 communities in America. And uh, we know that just within the Assemblies of God, we have 13,000 churches in America. So hmm. 30,000 communities— We have 13,000 churches, and to drill down even farther on that, Daniel, we know that only about 60% of our churches in the AG are actually growing numerically. Now, they may be growing other ways, and they may be healthy, but in terms of reaching uh, an expanding population, only about 60% of our churches are actually growing numerically. So we start to get a picture of the gap that exists between Mm -hmm. our growing churches and the number of communities in America And that's not even to speak of the growing population that we have in those communities. So we know there are uh, a lot of good churches in America, okay? So I serve with the Assemblies of God. There are a lot of good Baptist churches. There are a lot of good uh, other evangelical churches out there from multiple other denominations, our brothers and sisters in Christ, that are doing a great job killing it in those communities, reaching people for Jesus and making disciples. But what we can count— from, from my office in the Assemblies of God our Assemblies of God churches. Yeah. So we know there's a huge gap. We know we've got a lot of work to do to reach unreached communities. So it, 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 running the numbers like this gives us at least an indication of where we may need to start targeting. Yeah. So because we know where our AG churches are, we've we've identified those communities without an AG church. And we've come up with the top 10 cities according to size, the top 10 largest communities in America. And we've actually since expanded that into the top 100 cities in America by size that have no AG church. And so we've started casting vision for that when we travel uh, at different events, saying, hey, if you feel like God has called you to plant, these may be good places for you to plant. Or to multiplying churches, we've said these may be good places for you to start a church or to start another site of your church, because we know for a fact that there's no assemblies of God Church here. And um, so, as we have cast vision for that, people are responding. Yeah. And uh, in addition to that, through our funding mechanism, through the Church Multiplication Network, where we give matching funds to church planters who are going out to plant, we've also begin to uh, we've begun to incentivize people who plant in those cities. Um, so that we can try to put more churches in places where there's not healthy churches. And, of course, we also know that the vast majority of those communities that don't have a healthy church are rural. And uh,
2: that's another area that
1: we have to keep our eyes on. If we're really going to reach the loss in America, you know, rural is not Mayberry anymore. It's not— it's not these quaint little communities. A lot of our rural communities are really struggling, and uh, so we've got to keep that squarely in front of us. Yeah, absolutely. If we're going to reach the unreached. So these are some of the mechanisms that we're trying to use in our in our training and even in our recruiting to help make sure that we're we're putting churches in places where there are actually uh, unreached and and uh, lost people.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, there's a, a group called Pine Tops Foundation, and they put out a report recently. I think they're going to launch it. Um, uh, publicly uh, sometime this month, um, but it's called The Great Opportunity, and they're looking at 2050 as kind of the date. Um, and they project, these are their numbers, uh, and once the report comes out, uh, we'll, we'll have it on our website, but they project that we need at least to plant, start uh, eight to, to, to 10,000 churches a year to keep up with population growth and um, Towards oh. 2050, and you know, I think Lifeway's numbers from a couple of years ago—they project about 4,000 churches we're planting a year. Um, and so, I mean, you know, just everybody, in a sense, needs to double their capacity if we're keeping right. it up. You know, if this report is is accurate and the projections are right, um, everybody needs to double their capacity um, over the next couple of years to prepare for that. So, yeah, um, and So part of that is training, part of that is pipeline, part of that is. Um, um, connecting with the next generation of ministers and pastors. So um, how, how are you guys doing that? I mean, you work with uh, uh, seminaries and schools, so how do you bring those two uh, worlds together?
1: Yeah, Daniel, this is really interesting for me because I, I have this unique role of serving with the Church Multiplication Network as one of the national directors there, but then also serving as the national director of higher education for the assemblies of God, so mm-hmm. I have this really unique role, and uh, those those two roles weren't combined uh, initially. Uh, that I know of, there's never been anybody else that has had uh, those yeah. two roles uh, under their portfolio at the same time. But it just so happens, uh, I, I think it's part of the sovereignty of God that yeah. I happen to be in this place right now. And you know, I was telling somebody the other day, Daniel, that you get to a place in your life where you look back and you feel like. So much of what you've done and learned and what God has prepared you for has converged at this moment, kind of one of those for such a time as this moments. And I feel like I'm living in one of those right now. Even my uh, doctoral research for my uh, dissertation was on the intersection of – education and church planting. Mm, My my whole dissertation was on how education can better prepare church planters for for success. And so I really feel like I'm living in one of those moments of convergence right now. I do spend a lot of time on the campus of colleges, universities, and seminaries, specifically within the Assemblies of God. And I I spend a lot of time thinking about how these two can interact. And um, I'll say this, there's a, a People can say what they want about denominations, and uh, there's certainly some uh, maybe negative sides or downsides to denominations. And we know we're living in an age of, uh, in a sense, kind of denominational decline, Mm -hmm. uh, a decline in denominational loyalty. But I will say this, an education system of colleges and seminaries – is one of the really underrated superpowers of a denomination. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, a, it's a superpower that younger and smaller church planting networks just don't have. They don't have this um, this education system, this, this channel of training, and kind of this huge bullpen of potential ministers. And so I'm really thankful to be a part of a movement that has that.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So
1: we have 15 colleges, universities, and seminaries around the country. And and um, I, I'm a believer in education. I'm a product of education, and I think it's really important for us to have an educated clergy. So CMN does partner with our affiliated schools around the country to, to take content that we use to train church planters, and we package that for different levels of education from undergrad to master, to, to doctoral levels. Hmm. And I actually do a fair amount of that teaching myself at some of our different schools. So I travel around and do do some uh, teaching modules and teach some classes. And we've been able to co-brand some classes between CMN and our schools that's been what are, really effective.
0: What are some of those classes or or, uh, or an example curriculum that that you would go around and, and, and teach uh, in one of your schools or seminaries?
1: Yeah, so we have everything uh, from an undergraduate introduction to mission that's mm-hmm. kind of very general mm-hmm. to um, uh, some. Tips. another uh, class that we've been working on that I'm really excited about is this idea of missional entrepreneurship. Yeah. We know that entrepreneurship is huge right now among the younger generation, especially millennials. They're all about starting something they, they want to start something and so uh for those students who are interested in starting something and they're interested in the gospel and they're interested in evangelism and they're interested in really changing the world uh in a spiritual sense we're we're trying to help students understand that there's a way that they can put those desires and passions together mm-hmm. in missional entrepreneurship which is bigger than just church planting but certainly incur, uh, includes church planting so that's part of it uh, another thing that we're doing is offering uh, classes and packaging classes on the business side of starting new churches what does yeah. it look like you know when when oftentimes when you come into an existing church daniel there's existing systems there's accounting systems there's hr systems there's right. all these different things that already exist but when you start those things from scratch when you start from scratch, you've got to start all of those things from scratch. And most pastors are not well-equipped to do that. So we started uh, packaging some classes on how to uh, be better prepared to work on the the business end, the marketing end of uh, church planting, and then all the way up into our seminaries where where we have classes on um, church planting. And so what we've done is We've taken our church planter training that we do for church planters all over the country, and like I said, we've repackaged it in ways that are age appropriate and stage appropriate. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then on top of that, we also have partnerships with our schools where students at that schools can come to one of our church planter training events, do all the work, go through the process, and then they can get college credit for that at their school. Yeah. So. Um, as much as I believe in an educated clergy, though, um, and I do believe in that, <laughs> I think we all know that church planters and, and ministers in general can't just be educated in the classroom. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you, you have to learn ministry by doing.
0: L- let me ask you about that real quick, because, I mean, you guys are denominational planting, um, and I, I, I talk to other denominations all the time, Lutherans, um uh, different groups, and they're, they, they're trying to figure out how do we plant both credentialed and non-credentialed planters. Um, yeah. And for some denominations, it's a little bit easier to do that. If you're Southern Baptist, you just kind of credential somebody through your local church. Um, what are some of your tensions and struggles around that? How do you work with both credentialed and non-credentialed um, planters? Um, and Or do you? Do you
1: do that? Well, so the Assemblies of God has traditionally um, – and, and when I say traditionally, I mean for the 104 years or so of our existence, we have um, we have had a, a pretty strong system of credentialing that's pretty regimented that people go through. If you want to start a church in the Assemblies of God, you have to be credentialed. You have to go through a process. You have to get a, um, a, a minimal amount of education. You have to take a test. You have to do an interview. You have to be approved by – uh, your your district, and the Assemblies of God national office. And so you have to go through the process of credentialing. Um, and it's just really recently that we've opened up an avenue for people who may not be credentialed with the Assemblies of God to be able to come in and start a church. But you have to do that under the covering of uh, a, an existing church and a, a church that is pastored by a credentialed AG minister. Yeah. So um, so you're you're under... Uh, an umbrella and a covering, and under the oversight of somebody else. So, we are that's a fairly new thing for the assemblies of God, mm-hmm. and uh, it seems to be working really, really well right now. And, and truthfully, I think most of our people who come in and they are not credentialed, but they they get their foot in the door in ministry in that way, end up walking through the credentialing process and becoming a fully uh, credentialed minister, gotcha. which is what we would really prefer.
0: Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, uh, I mean, you, you still work uh, people towards credentialing, but there's an opportunity to begin yes. the process uh, before yes, the absolutely. planting process before. Yeah. Uh, what do you guys see in these days uh, in terms of uh, key issues or trends or factors that you're really paying attention to in building your organizational strategy?
1: And one of the big ones right now is we're really seeing a trend toward what seems to be a rise in what, what I would just refer to as apostolic leadership.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So uh, at least in, in some ways of God, and I, and I think broadly, it used to be that pastors felt responsible for their neighborhood, maybe for their community, but um, we're, we're really seeing pastors and leaders now start to have a vision way beyond their neighborhoods mm-hmm. and even beyond their local community, and they're starting to believe that they can have an impact on their whole city or their region, or their state, or even around the country and around the world. Yeah. And so, um, you know, maybe some of this is the result of just a sovereign of God, and maybe some of it is kind of the result of the world that we're living in with globalization, where we we kind of feel like the uh, geographic boundaries that used to exist and used to be pretty rigid are are kind of breaking down. We're not, not kind of breaking down, they're really breaking down. And, um, of course, this has coincided with the multi-site movement Mm -hmm. and the proliferation of multi-site churches and, and, uh, kind of an expanding influence of people who are really apostolic leaders. And, and, and that's grown to the point now where many churches are even starting their own networks. And so even traditional denominations like the Assemblies of God are now really just a network of networks. So it's probably, you know, I was thinking about this earlier, Daniel, um, it's probably the inclination of every denomination or network leader to squash that when it starts to happen. Yeah. When you start to see networks and groups flourish underneath you, for some reason there's something in us that wants to squash that because we want to maintain control. But the truth is I think that the future of multiplication is in networks.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: I see them in even as a denominational network. We've decided to empower this rather than to kill it. So we want to create a culture of power giving and permission giving that really throws fuel on the fire of apostolic leaders Mm -hmm. rather than throwing water on that. Mm -hmm. Um, And and that's caused the AG to even make some structural changes to allow for leaders to lead. Um, So about 10 years ago – and this brings up something that I I just told you about a second ago where we've created this way for um, people who are not credentialed to come in to our processes – That was really an invention uh, that happened about 10 years ago where the Assemblies of God created this new channel for us to start new churches. And we Mm -hmm. call it the parent affiliated church. So without going into detail, what it's done is it's put the power to start new faith communities into the hands of pastors at the local level. Minimizing the, uh, the organizational hoops that you have to go through at the denominational level. So denominations, um, and I think growing church planting networks as well, have to constantly be reminded that church planting is local. And pastors and churches are the ones who plant churches. Denominations don't plant churches, really networks don't plant churches. Denominations and networks work best when we put the power into the hands of apostolic leaders, apostolic pastors, and we become the helper and the resourcer. So I would say if there's a trend that we're seeing right now, it's this trend toward strong apostolic leadership. And at this point, we're making every possible effort to resource that, get behind it, cheer uh, our apostolic leaders on, because we feel like the future of multiplication is really in their hands.
0: Let, let me ask you, and this is very specific, um, uh, and you can answer however way you feel comfortable, but uh, you guys have some really uh, fantastic networks uh, city reach uh, in a lot of ways has a strong assembly of God constituency uh, Jeff leak in the work that he's done in Pennsylvania and that that whole region um, and you know pro- and maybe to a looser degree uh, a lot of art churches um, but I mean in terms of how you relate and how you encourage those relationships from a denominational standpoint um, uh, what are some of the practical things that you have found to to cultivate those relationships? What do you all do together? Yeah,
1: well, yeah, sure. One of the that's a great question, Daniel. One of the things that we've done is, uh, for instance, Jeff Leek that you mentioned, who pastors a great church in Pennsylvania, Allison Partner Church. Mm-hmm. He also started Reach Northeast. Uh, which has planted tons of churches in the Northeast. Jeff uh, is an incredible leader, incredible pastor, and he actually serves on our church multiplication network lead team. So Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that we've done to build relationships with these people who are leading networks is we've pulled them in close and said, we want to be in relationship with you. We recognize the hand of God on your life. Uh, A guy like Jeff is really kind of a godfather in the multiplication movement, uh, especially in the assemblies of God. Uh, And not only do we want him to be close because we want to be friends, but we want to learn from them. And uh, we think that the Other church planters in our movement can learn from him as well. And so uh, we're we're trying to pull these guys uh, close, number one. And then number two, making space for them to flourish and add value to other churches. So, for instance, we've got a group of multipliers and network leaders that we're bringing into our office in just a few weeks to help us create some resources for multiplying pastors or pastors who who want to multiply, they want to go multi-site, they want to raise yeah. up and send out church planters, but they don't know how, they don't know what the next step is. Well, we're, we're really leveraging the strength of these guys who are who are already doing it, and the hand of God is obviously on their life for multiplication. We're going to leverage that to add value to other people in our movement, in our fellowship, and so that's some of the things that we're doing to stay close to them, and we really feel like, like I said earlier, that the future of multiplication is in their hands. Yeah. So, We have to be moving in lockstep together with our multipliers. So as a denomination or a a church planting network, um, the leader of a network, we can't be doing things that are working against our multipliers. We can't Mm -hmm. be creating resources that our multipliers don't need or setting up – Policies and procedures and structures that actually get in the way of multiplication at the local and and uh, network level, yeah. because that just works against us. That that's what denominations are famous for, you know, yeah. setting up structure right. and bureaucracy that actually gets in the way. So, we, we've really got to work hard to make sure that we that we're a helper and a resourcer and and not just more bureaucracy.
0: Yeah man that's yeah that's that's fantastic and i i think probably 10 15 years ago when networks were really taken off um it wasn't a, a mature enough concept for denominations to really take seriously but now i think uh they are and um an encouragement to those who because yeah, there are other denominations that haven't yet gotten to the point where they're developing the internal networks but i think the reality is that because we're seeing the proof of concept work that it, it's something that you shouldn't be afraid of so really glad to hear that right. with the ag uh, hey man, as we wind down uh, the podcast here, um, I want to ask you one last question, and that's uh, if, if there's one thing that you think church planning organizations have to pay attention to in order to lead towards the future, uh, you know, future church planters, future uh, unreached communities, um, what's the one that they should be paying attention to today? Yeah, I'm so
1: glad that you asked this question, because, you know, it's... This could go a number of different ways. There's so many things that we feel like we have to pay attention to, and, and all of those could be right answers, and all denominational leaders and network leaders would probably answer this question a little bit differently. But I'll say the thing that's really on my heart lately, um, though, though we don't see it playing a major factor in our current reality uh, in the network that I'm in, I really believe the future of church in America is multi-racial. Mm. As the U.S. continues to feel the effects of globalization and immigration, church planting organizations, and I can speak specifically about denomination, we've got to figure out how to plant churches that appeal to more than just white folks or more than just black folks mm. or Hispanic folks or Asian folks.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, the, the U.S. is increasingly becoming comfortable with diversity, in a way that it hasn't been in the past. I, and I'm talking about our country as a whole. Um, and I think that's a good thing. And as we look to the future, I, I would predict that it's gonna to continue to move beyond our people are comfortable, our country feeling comfortable with diversity to a place where our culture in America will actually start to become intolerant of anything that's not ethnically diverse.
0: With millennials and Gen Z, the only time they'll notice diversity is when it's not there. And John points out probably one of the most mission-critical issues of our time, and that is we not only need to plant multi-ethnic churches, but we need to develop a better missiology and mission strategy around what it means to do Kingdom mission as a diverse leadership team and as a diverse organization because what you explicitly value as an organization is what you'll instill into the next generation of church planters you raise up. Can you do me a favor? Can you subscribe to our podcast? Let others know about it. You can also share this episode on Twitter and Facebook. Just tell people about it. And if you have any questions or comments, go to sendinstitute.org. Shoot me an email. I'd love to hear from you. See you in our next episode.